You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 64, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I can see Solak frantically going for a number that's 64 on his laptop right now. I'm your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the on-time co-host, the best doggone co-host in the game. Don't patronize me. Don't patronize me right now. <laughs> Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is... Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Like, every day is a good day to be alive. Especially on days where, like, every day, I was punctual as heck. <laughs> as I always have been, and I forever always will be. Yeah, I can't find a 64. I don't know anything about that. But somebody yelled at me yesterday because I forgot a very famous 63. Hank Fraley. No, I know it was Hank Fraley. I want to I wanna find who it was who yelled at me. <laughs> Whoever it was who yelled at me, you're a regular listener to the show, and I can't remember your name. It's like Fifty Shades of Rage or something like that on Twitter, which is a little aggressive. Um, but I forgot about Hank Fraley in my haste, and for that I apologize. Hank was the man. But yeah, every day is a good day to be alive. I'm excited for this game. It's going to be a good time. And it's a good day to be alive for me as well, Ben. I just got done recording with Cody Alexander from MatchQuarters.com. I've written a couple books on defending the modern offense with the modern defense and we talked about a lot of things that are pertinent to what the bears are going to try to do to us so figuring out how to defend trips how to defend rpos how to defend jet motion things of those nature so that is going to be up on the feed after this show probably either later tonight or early on saturday it's a really good chat Sweet. if you love the x and o chat that me and ben have here on this show cody alexander has done it he is Next level awesome. You're going to really enjoy that. And it's funny because, Ben, I reached out to you the other day and I was saying early on in the week, you were giving me crap because I was doing an early deep dive on the Bears. And I was like, hey, man, I'm learning how to defend RPOs. And he's like, oh, cool. How are you doing that? I'm like, oh, I'm reading up on uh, Cody Alexander stuff. He's like, oh, really? And sends me a picture of the book that he – it was the only book that you took on your trip, right? Yeah, no. Literally, I was – I knew I was not going to be in – Chicago for the week leading up to this game. And so on my flights and on my travels and whatever, you know, I was up with the family and stuff. I brought with me uh, Match Quarters, The Art of X, which is the first book for Cody Alexander. 
because I knew that that book was heavily predicated on the idea of the match quarter system, which is very the the Chicago Bears base defense is a quarters defense, and when they run match, they run it out of a split field defense. They don't they they don't like to be single high. They like to be middle of the field open. So a lot of the basic tenets between Alexander's presentation of match quarters and what Vic Fangio runs are analogous to the point where it's a good primer to read when you look at the Chicago Bears defense. And we've mentioned this, I think, on on previous shows. Nick Foles' note that the most difficult aspect of this Bears defense is the way that they're able to match coverage in the defensive backfield, and it's true. This is a very... I don't think I've seen such a well-gelled secondary in quite some time. Yeah. You know, typically, I think when you see really good secondaries in the NFL... Uh, you know, when you're talking about Seattle and the Legion of Boom a few years ago, you're talking about uh, Baltimore Ravens for the past couple of years. A lot of it is because they just have lockdown man coverage corners who can just erase areas of the field. And I don't want to take away from Prince of Mukamura and Kyle Fuller who play great football, but they're not that mold. It really is because of what they're able to do on the chalkboard and the fluidity with which they can check their coverages and then pass off route concepts along with, with the linebackers and the safeties is really, really impressive high level stuff that typically... Even at the NFL level, that level of complexity to pull off against NFL offenses is, is tremendous. And so it's a um, it's a stellar pass defense in that regard from an X and O perspective. There are weaknesses. We're going to talk about the weaknesses, how I anticipate the Eagles will attack those weaknesses. But generally speaking, yeah, you look at this defense's ability to play with two high safeties, um, which gives them a lot of freedom to fill against the run very aggressively for their linebackers, gives them a lot of strength against second-level RPOs because their safeties are filling downhill against those quick little slants and those slot hitches and whatever. So the ability to stay too high uh, and then be successful passing off half-field route concepts is unmatched in the league, and it's the reason the defense has been so good. I agree. The complexity of that defense is really fun to watch, and that's going to be the main topic of the show today. It's going to be the Philadelphia Eagles offense against the Chicago Bears defense. I really did nail that on the first take this time. I'm proud of myself. I had to say it a few times before the show, but we got it done. So, But before we get into that, we have to go over the injury report. A lot of this was covered on BGN Radio number 30 with John Stolness and Brandon Lee Gowton, May He Forever Rain. We are going to talk about some specific things. There's a new addition to the injury report for the Eagles. Avante Maddox dealing with an oblique issue. Now, that would be big because if he is down, if he can't go, and we don't know the extent of this injury yet, if he can't go, it's, who is it, Josh Hawkins, if I'm not mistaken, would be the next man up for this defense, which was just recently added. I have yeah. no idea who that, do you have any idea who Josh Hawkins is? I don't, but let me tell you something right now. Obviously, we shouldn't be... Happy that somebody's injured. That's a bad thing to do. But Bryce Callahan is a good football player who is on injured reserve. And that is not bad news for the Philadelphia Eagles. Man, 37 can play. I was I was in um some earlier tapes. Callahan's been out for the past two weeks because I wanted to see the defense without, with Eddie Jackson on the field. Obviously, Eddie Jackson's been out for the past couple weeks. On uh, 37 pops off the screen. Their slot corner is yep. an impressive player who I have no idea where Callahan came from. This guy was a, a, a right. undrafted free agent, 2015 NFL draft. And so that 2015 NFL draft, they got Adrian Amos in the fifth round. Right. And Bryce Callahan is an undrafted free agent. That's obnoxious. Look what they did with their secondary. They got Eddie Jackson in the fourth round, who I thought was a first-round talent and fell because he broke his leg. And everyone, he was like in a top 15 discussion. He breaks his leg, and then he drops to the fourth round because he can't test at the combine, if I'm not mistaken. They get Bryce Callahan out of Rice at his, as a UDFA. They get Adrian Amos in the fifth round, who I really liked for the Eagles that year. They've done really well. And you know what bothers me the most? Dion Bush, mm. fourth-round selection in the 2016 NFL Draft. And Dion Bush was a player out of... Miami, Florida. 
You want to know how well Dion Bush is playing? How well is Dion Bush playing, Ben? I was thinking to myself, man, I didn't realize Adrian Amos changed his number to 26. Ooh. And then about a halfway through this, the, the 49ers game, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's 38. That was Amos's number. Amos is still 30. Who is 26? And I, I rolled back and I said, that's Dion Bush. Oh, that, that's Dion Bush, hmm. who's playing incredible. So I talked about split field safety and, and, and filling against the run. When you have a, a single deep safety, he can't have a run responsibility, right? He has to stay deep. Uh, his run responsibility is going to be very, very late fill, fill player. And if he is your primary fill player, it means you got out blocked at the front, you're out leveraged, and you're in trouble because the running back is like eight yards down the field. So. When you're in split field safeties, your your two deep safeties have more significant run responsibilities because when run action comes their way, they can fill very hard downhill, knowing that the other the the weak side safety has cut back responsibility, right? And so, what does that mean when, from a split field safety perspective? It means your linebacker in front of you, if you're the the safety into the field, the Sam linebacker is going to crash down hard into the line of scrimmage. For the Bears, he's often going to be lined up on the line of scrimmage. He's just going to present and man a line of scrimmage responsibilities. And you correct him. You make him right. If he goes outside, you fill inside as the alley player. If he slices inside, you come outside as the force player. And that's a really nice thing for Sam linebackers. Sam linebackers love that because it gives them the freedom to go inside and outside because they know they have the safety behind them who's going to fix their fit. It's going to correct them. It's going to make them right. And hey, when your Sam linebacker by alignment is often like Khalil Mack and or Leonard Floyd, yeah, giving them freedom to do what they want against the run is kind of a good deal. Like I saw you were posting Leonard Floyd clips against the run. I still think Floyd is a bad pass rusher, but he looks great against the run this year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he really stood out to me. Right. And so that freedom for the Sam means that the, 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 Safety behind him has to correct him and make him right. So you need your safeties to be very aggressive downhill and to be willing to come up and hit dudes, including offensive linemen. Dion Bush is willing to come up and hit dudes, including offensive linemen. His run fill ability is tremendous. He's no yeah. slouch in coverage, but the fact that they're lining him up 10 yards off the ball and he's regularly getting his nose into a play about two yards past the line of scrimmage for a third slash fourth safety, I don't really know if they... If they like him, you know, better than they like uh, Houston Carson in terms of free safety, strong safety, whatever. But as your safety three, safety four, Bush would be starting for the Eagles over literally everybody but Malcolm Jenkins right now. So, you know, it speaks to the lack of, of, of safety depth for Philadelphia. But Bush has been impressive. And that ability to stay too high and have your safeties fill down Amos and Bush are fantastic fill safeties against the run. And it allows them to stay in too high, play spit field coverage, and then run those match quarters. That's you. In order to run that coverage, that two eye coverage, you need your safeties to be great run support players, and the Bears have that. That's huge, and it's huge for them too because Eddie Jackson, who returned to practice, he was limited participation on Thursday. He's a fantastic player, but if you can do what you want to do defensively, and they, and they put a lot of stress on these corners with what they like to do with these safeties, and we can talk about how flexible you know the Vic, Vic Fangio defense is. We already kind of alluded to it, but if you can do what you want to do still despite having that player out and you don't have to dumb down the playbook without really a, a huge drop off. I, I don't want to shade Eddie Jackson. I think he's a top five defender for him for sure on that defense, probably the second best playing the second best ball on that defense this year. But nope. if you could do that, I wrote my rankings for the best bears defenders, by the way, we'll compare later. 
Oh yeah, let's do it. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll do that later. But yeah, if they can do that without Eddie Jackson, that's big. Eddie Jackson, of course, has some more playmaking ability there. So we'll be tracking whether or not he plays. Of course, keep it locked on bleedinggreennation.com, and they'll keep you updated on what is going on with his status, along with some of the other other injury reports. Nothing has changed with Taylor Gabriel, Anthony Miller, and Allen Robinson ribs, shoulder ribs. They did confirm that Anthony Miller's shoulder did dislocate. Uh, because the brace Cute. was loose and has dislocated before. Uh, this is an ongoing issue for him this season. So we'll, we'll see if he can stay healthy for the game against the Eagles. He's been fighting through it all season. NFL players are not like us. Uh, as far as the Eagles go, some of the other reports, Wendell Smallwood with his hand. He has some sort of hand issue, was limited participation. Mike Wallace with his ankle also limited Full participation, Nick Foles with his ribs, Jason Kelsey with his knee. We shouldn't see too many changes. Hopefully Maddox obviously plays. But Ben, I mean, you look at this Bears defense, and I'm going to run some numbers past you here. So instead of using volume stats, a lot of times what I like to do is look at, you know, efficiency stats. We do it a lot on this show. And one area in which the Bears defense, because if you look at their like yards per, they're like seventh in rush yards and 11th per, you know, pass yards. And and it it doesn't tell the story. So the Bears, their defense, their per drive efficiency rankings are as such. They are tied for second in the number of plays per drive, first in yards allowed. First in time of possession, first in drive success rate, first in points allowed, first in score allowed, first in touchdown allowed, first turnover created, first interceptions created, first in defensive scoring. But I'll ask you, is that good? Mike, I'm here to say unequivocally (laughs) that a lot of firsts is probably good. This Bears defense will give up some yardage on you. They will give up some space on you. They very rarely surrender early first down. So they put you in a lot of third down situations. And in the red zone, they're unparalleled. Like the Eagles have a good red zone defense. This red zone defense is stupid good. Even if you're able to convert multiple third downs, which Nick Foles has been doing at an unbelievable rate that has to regress at some point. Once you get down inside the 20s, this is the best defense in the league by a mile. People have said this before, but you know it's worth saying here on the podcast for us. I definitely expect a game full of turnovers on both sides because I don't think either offense is going to be able to do much in the red zone. And speaking of turnovers, let's talk about the impact of Khalil Mack on this defense because we can't go too long without talking about the best player on this defense and what he brings. And first, I wanted to make a note about how they're deploying and aligning him. There was a lot of talk last year about the potential for Khalil Mack in the Eagles matchup with the Raiders to switch sides and play on the Vitae side because that was the favorable matchup. But that didn't materialize. Last year, Mack spent 80% of his snap on the defense's left. So he lined up on the right tackle side. Side, which with the Eagles is obviously the Lane Johnson side. Against the Eagles, he only had three rushes on Vitae's side, which is great for us. Only 8% of his total snaps. The Bears said screw that when they acquired him. We're moving yep. him around, and he's at a near 50-50 split for pass rushes left and right. So not only do they move him around to exploit matchups, but they're dropping him slightly more. So you may end up allocating resources to his side and neutering your offense if you can figure it out when you're actually adding an extra man in coverage to that side. Meanwhile, on the other side, they're bringing an overload. So you have to be careful with how you game plan for him. And it makes it really tough on an offense to key in on where the pressure is going to come from. They do it with Leonard Floyd too. 
He drops one out of every five snaps. And again, they, they do that so they can rush with four while still bringing what equates to a blitz if you're looking at it from a side versus side perspective. Another thing Mac will do to help his linebackers in coverage when they have man coverage against running backs is he'll go attack those guys releasing into the routes and he's going to give his guys time to get in coverage and get even with with all that's going on. And even with that, he still finds a way to get to the quarterback. I remember seeing this back in week three against the Cardinals, and I put this video up on my timeline on Twitter. But before the snap, he looks back at, at Danny Trevathan, the linebacker, and Trevathan, you know, they're kind of communicating back and forth. And Mac's like, hey, you want me to bump this guy for you? Trevathan's like, yo, that would be dope. So what he does is the running back releases, Mac bumps him, and then he's able to track down a scrambling Josh Rosen, cause a fumble, which Trevathan then scoops up. It was the ultimate example of scratching your back and then scratching it again, which really sums up his impact on this defense. Max obnoxious. It's just it's <laughs> unkind and unfair. So two things you notice, uh, I think, about Mac's deployment. Number one, if Mac has the opportunity to rush as a as a seven-tech or wider against a t- uh, an uncovered offensive tackle, there's no tight end to that side. Game. <laughs> I don't care who the offensive tackle is. Could be Lane Johnson. Going to be rough. If you cover him with a tight end, so as to create more uh, congestion to get a chip on him, whatever, the Bears will very gladly twist him. So if you try to put a tight end over him, he'll line up as inside a 7-tech. They'll take the 3-tech and they'll just run a twist, which now means you're not chipping Mac with the tight end. You're like, oh, well, he's coming to the inside. That's better. No, it's not. He's ridiculously powerful. He's 255 pounds. He has enough power to be a 300. He's like Fletcher Cox in terms of like his interior power. And he can split those doubles. He's so great as a crasher that he's a real, like usually crashers on stunts start to take guys away from the guy that you want to free up. He splits them all the time, dude. He's that's crazy. why. That's why he's obnoxious. Because like you're <laughs> like, all right, I got him to do what I wanted him to do. Because I put a tight end out there, I discouraged him from going around the outside. And Max, like, well, listen, I'm still just going to be as big of an issue in here, which is again obnoxious. And then yeah, like you mentioned, the ability to cut routes, the the number two or the number three receiver to that side when Max aligned as the Sam, and he's either off ball or he's in a two point stance, he will be responsible for collisioning that route. And when Max collisions you, if you're a small person, number one, it sucks. Like you're gonna get knocked way off your route. It's gonna disrupt the timing. But number two, like you said, now you have a situation where Mac is a delayed rusher where he can see the quarterback's drop point and he can see the inside outside rush pass. So it's even then, like it's not. You didn't help yourself. It's still a significant problem. That being said, really interesting thing to think about for this week. Philadelphia has been stellar this year at neutralizing the best defensive linemen they've faced. Two games against Demarcus Lawrence. Lawrence this season, 10.5 sacks, 15 tackles for loss, 23 quarterback hits, right? that He's averaging just under a sack a game. He's averaging a TFL a game. He's averaging one and a half quarterback hits a game. In two games, two TFLs, two quarterback hits, no sacks. J.J. Watt, 16 sacks this year. It's one a game. 18 TFLs, 25 quarterback hits. He had one TFL, zero quarterback hits, zero sacks. And then Aaron Donald, the best defensive player in the country, who I acknowledge does not play edge, but still, Aaron Donald, averaging 1.3 sacks a game, which is nuts. 1.6 TFL a game, still nuts. 2.6 quarterback hits a game, ridiculous. Yeah. Zero sacks, zero TFLs, one quarterback hit. The best rusher that your team has has not performed well against the Philadelphia Eagles this year, especially late in the season. They had a little trouble with Jarrell Casey. 
you know, week four against the Titans. Yeah. A little trouble with Calais Campbell in the middle of the season against the Jaguars. Recently, when the offensive line's been playing better, they've been doing fantastic at neutering your best pass rusher. How does that get pulled off? It's not always about giving two blockers to his side. It's not always about chipping him and sliding protection his directions. It often is, and they will do that. Like, I'm not saying that's not part of it. It is. If you want to neutralize Khalil Mack, you are going to have to dedicate two people to him on, on third and long. Yep. It's Khalil Mack. Right. Two people is better than one. Like, we're not, let's not get over, over complicated here, but you can slow down Mack's play by making him a conflict player. And a player in conflict, like Mack, when he's the Sam linebacker, will have pass and run responsibilities. He will have to be the end man on the line of scrimmage at times and, and, and set an edge to the outside. And other times he'll be responsible for crashing inside and for collapsing a gap against a puller away, so on and so forth. He will have conflicting responsibilities against different play designs. And so when you run things like read option, which is something that Nick Foles has done in his career before, like, you know, he did a lot with Chip Kelly. He pulled the ball and he kept it. You run that three times a game to max side, you're going to slow down his ability to chase zone away. That's how conflicting a player works. If you run jet motion that starts away from Mac and comes towards Mac and then leave him unblocked, he has to wait to respect the jet motion threat because if that jet motion player gets outside of him, the Eagles have a numbers advantage to that side. So you play action a jet motion sweep and now you can slow him down. Hey, jet motion and then run split zone flow and now you can get a tight end to block Mac. For two whole seconds, yeah. because you force Mac to slow down. Are I, you worried, I don't condone. Are you worried at all when you saw the Bears play the Rams and what yeah. they, they were able to play it even play plus one on that side that the jet motion was coming to and, and it kind of freed up Mac? Do you see the same thing here? So this is this is what's critical to understand here is that when you bring jet motion and when you bring any tor- any sort of uh, any sort of a cross motion where uh, a player changes their side of the formation, they go to the other side of the ball. Bears will want to rock and roll their safeties. They're going to want to kick their coverage out to adjust to the new strength. Like I said, they like to be split field. But they will bring that new strong side safety down, and they will pull that free free safety up into middle of the field closed. What does that do? It leaves your backside receiver one-on-one. And I'll tell you right now, the number one weakness I can tell you about in the Bears defense is that they are very, very comfortable Leaving backside receivers in one-on-one man coverage with Kyle Fuller and with Prince Amukamura, which again, is not inherently bad. Like the Bears have only allowed five 100-yard receivers this year. For those of you playing at home, that is good, right? That's great. But Jeffrey's got four inches, 15 pounds on both Amukamura and Fuller, if not more. He's probably got 20 pounds on Fuller. And Nick Foles is dedicated to getting Alsh on the ball in one-on-one man coverage situations to the point where if they see that they get it, they will check to it at the line of scrimmage. And so if you're going out there and you come out with it, in my opinion, what what they'll very likely do, they're going to come out with a very run-heavy, very misdirection-heavy, very screen-heavy opening script, and it's not going to work, but it's fine. (laughs) You run all that stuff. You see how they're checking to your formations. Because, again, the Bears have seen very little 12 personnel this year. We don't necessarily know how they're going to check to, like, ace wing. Like, when Philadelphia goes formation into the boundary, I couldn't find it anywhere. I went through four games of of film trying to find good 12 personnel reps. They're very limited, right? And so we don't know necessarily how they're going to check. So if you figure out how they're going to check in-game, well, then you can start setting up formation in motion so as to ensure you get Alshon backside. And then, to me, every third and five plus is three-by-one set, 
Alshon to the backside, and if they're going to give us man, we're giving them the football. Right. Like if they, I, I, I tweeted this out, if the Eagles win this game, Alshon Jeffrey has more than 100 yards receiving. Period. Like I would be shocked if the Eagles win this and Alshon doesn't have a big game. He needs to for the way that they are going to when when you run match coverage. Match coverage is not designed to take away the outside receiver. Match coverage is designed to take away the inside receivers, the tight ends, the slots. Those are the guys who are going to struggle with match coverage because no matter which way they go, there's going to be a defender waiting for them. That's the point of the match. They wait until you break and then they cover you so they know which direction you're heading. The outside receivers are the one who gets isolated coverages. So even though Philadelphia's been running their offense through 12 personnel and their tight ends have been very strong and they're still going to give targets to their tight ends. It's still going to be fine, the little stuff, whatever. The big plays are going to come on the outside, Alshon Jeffrey, and then Nelson Aguilar to a smaller extent as well. Alshon's got to be the one who, who wins in that regard. So yeah, the jet motion to hold Khalil Mack, but if they spin into it, you get the backside matchup you want. You just have to be able to hit on those plays. Yeah, and two interesting notes on that. I wanted to follow up on what you said. The 12 personnel, I saw the same thing. We're seeing statistics out there that are saying that the Bears have seen either the least or close to the least amount of 12 yeah, personnel. Yeah, it's 8% of the snaps per uh, sharp football stats. Warren Sharp, shout out Warren. Uh, 8% of the snaps they've seen on defense this season have come out of 12 personnel. They lead the league in snaps seen against 11 personnel at 79%. The next closest is 71. Let me tell you something right now. I watched, I watched a one game of Bryce Callahan. I don't want to be playing 11 personnel. Dude's a stud. <laughs> I don't get it. Adrian Amos? Eddie Jackson? You want to be working the, the inside against those guys get that nonsense out of here <laughs> expose Danny Trevathan in coverage he's the only one who's bad in coverage yeah that's it because they have linebackers that can cover too and we'll we'll talk about that and the other thing I wanted to talk about was that checking to when you see cover one and you see you know one-on-one coverage on the backside with Alshon Jeffrey our, our friend Mark Schofield who is my co-host on the QB Sco show here on Bleeding Green Nation just wrote a post for Pro Football Weekly and I got a chance to look at that and it's funny he sent me two gifts before he published that piece and both gifts are Nick Foles looking out to Alshon Jeffrey. Yes. Putting his open palm down to his right with his right hand, taking the snap, and then throwing it to Alshon Jeffrey. He's yeah. giving him the signal of, this is you, bud. This is all no. you. <laughs> if you go to my, my Foles post on Bleeding Green Nation, and yeah. I talk about the faith throws that Nick Foles is willing to make and how he's willing to use his outside receivers in one-on-one coverage. The, there's a third down conversion against the Rams. Went for like 26 yards. It was a huge like uh, gaslighting play for Eagles Twitter because this was when we were in the throes of like, Zach Ertz getting 95 <laughs> targets a game. Alshon gets three. And Alshon got this big downfield target. And if you watch Nick Foles, Nick Foles looks up at the stat yeah. and looks to Alshon <laughs> and like looks back at the defense like, dude, are you seeing this? Like, there's no, it's just, it's just to leave. There's no way anybody else is coming over. And then he's like, yeah, he takes the snap. He doesn't even drop back. He right. just turns and puts it up. It's, it is literally catch and throw yeah. in terms of the snap. Yeah. And so if you're going to get that one-on-one coverage, which you will, I can't emphasize it enough. The bears want to run max zone, but when you go unbalanced formations and uh, the Eagles have been doing more four by one unbalanced formations, which I'm here for that because that really screws with math match coverage in a big way. Yeah. When you run unbalanced formations, they will check to man coverage on the backside so that they can match the play side. And if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Eagles offense is a weak side offense. It wants you to dedicate players to the strong side so it has space on the weak side. That's where Philadelphia is going to be successful. There and then in the flats because the Bears will be willing to let you have completions to the flats and then they'll try to rally and tackle. And Nick Foles throws you know, the little swing routes and the little flare routes to his backs, to his tight ends more than literally anybody else on the face of the planet. Yeah. So 
you're going to see a ton of targets there, and it's a question of tackle breaking at that point. But that's a smaller note. Yeah, and I want to talk more about Nick Foles here, but I'm going to kind of set it up in this way because my big question about this offense is can you run the ball against this Bears team because it feels like what we talked about in that Texans game when we were praising guys like DJ Reader, the inside defensive lineman, Jadavion Clowney, who really wreaked havoc on our run game, J.J. Watt, and of course the linebackers that were so good against the run. You look at this Bears defense, and I would argue that Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hicks are the best interior defensive line duo in the league. Woo! Mac does everything well. He is going to wreck you in the run game too. But again, as we alluded to earlier in the show, you've also got Leonard Floyd who is playing really good against the run too. That's four guys that are playing fantastic against the run. And Floyd, for his part, does a great job leveraging his gaps, using his length to stay clean, to put himself in a position to make plays to the inside lane and to the outside lane of his gaps. So he's not a weakness there either. They're just a really technically sound defense and they're disruptive. And I know last year, we trapped the daylights out of Akeem Hicks with wham plays and short traps and long traps, and that yep. led to some successful runs. Ben, do you see us having that type of same success again? Is it that simple, or should we really move to more of a 69 to 31 pass run ratio like we saw against the Texans? Yeah, I think 69 to 31 is pretty nice. Yeah. There is no reason in the entire face of the world ever to run outside zone against this team. Oh, yeah. It's it's impossible. Same thing with the Texans. It's Listen, the same thing we talked about with the Texans. Yeah. They flow so fast. Like, imagine having, like, two of the faster linebackers in the league playing behind two, uh, like, one, like, elite edge setter and another really good edge setter. Right. And then in front of them are Akeem Hicks, who's kind of slow. Sorry, Akeem. But two defensive tackles who play great in pursuit, especially one one being Goldman, who is quick as heck. And you can be Hicks, and you can be kind of slow, but his block deconstruction is so quick. Well, you don't really block Hicks. You just stay in his way for as long as possible. <laughs> Hicks or Goldman, gun to your head, who's better? Man. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I had my answer that I thought was true. And it's I still think it's the same player, but man, I, I feel a lot less confident having gone through three, four games of tape. I think they're both really good. Like I said, they're the best interior defensive line duo in the league. Heck, don't be wishy-washy. I will comfortably take Akeem Hicks right now. I think Eddie Goldman is an ascending player who can challenge that next year. I'll put it to you that way. I'll comfortably take Hicks now. Who do you got? You want to know what's obnoxious? What's obnoxious? Besides Cleo Mack. Remember when, like, they drafted Jonathan Bullard out of oh, Florida? Yeah. And it was, it was going to be like, oh, like, Bullard's going to be this thing for them. No. Like, they busted on an early defensive line pick, and the <laughs> defensive line still looks like this. Yeah. Like, how dare you? That's just mean. Yes, I agree. It's Akeem Hicks. Akeem Hicks is better. Goldman, like, you know, if he continues to skyrocket develop, then sure. Akeem Hicks, like I said, is, is the sort of dude in terms of size strength and hand placement where you don't really block him you just stay in his way for as long as possible and because he's not super quick you can't expose him in that regard yeah philadelphia is definitely going to try to trap him the other nice thing about trapping is if you trap if like if like akeem hicks is like the the one technique you're trapping khalil max on the opposite side you get to down block khalil mack with it with lane johnson with a tackle which right. is a really great leverage point for a run that hits up inside and mike you'll look the bears have surrendered two 100 yard rushers this year saquon barkley 
when it ran for 125 on them, 70 of which came on like one play. But then Frank Gore, in a game that the Bears lost to Brock Osweiler and the Miami Dolphins, which is just such a confusing (laughs) sentence to say out loud. If you go through and you look at how Gore and Kenyon Drake, who also had a good game, were able to be successful in the running game, they ran straight at Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan and said, listen, we can't get outside of you, so we are going to run with power up here. They did run split zone. They net. They uh, they immediately banged it up field, which is it screams Darren Sproles. That's how Sproles runs split zone. So you can run split zone and outside zone as long as you run it weak with the mm-hmm. intention of banging it back upside the the interior a gap. But then it was a ton of just simple single back power duo and then fold blocks from whenever they had H backs. That's how you have to do it. You need to run upfield on this team. If you try to run side to side against this speed, you're going to have tackle for loss situations. And like I said, the Bears are one of the best defenses in the league at limiting your first and second down yardage. They give up very few first downs on first down, which constantly puts you in third down situations. You need to keep those situations manageable. You cannot afford to lose yards on first down. My number one complaint with Peterson's offense during the Super Bowl year, during the tough times this year, whenever is his willingness to throw plays behind the line of scrimmage, especially when they get inside of the 40, right? Little bubble screens and little pitches and like all this horizontal stuff. No mas! Can't do it. (laughs) Begging for second and 13. And you can't be doing that in near field goal range in a game where points are going to be at a premium. Got to be able to to advance the football forward. But I don't want that to be a Josh Adams game. You know, they think that that's Josh Adams. It doesn't, it, it shouldn't be. It should be Darren Sproles. Yeah. Josh Adams shouldn't touch the football, but he will. But as long as they're running downhill, it'll be okay with it. I want to talk about something real quick, too, because I looked this up on Next Gen Stats, and what I found was pretty interesting for both teams, because I know both teams count box numbers and decide whether or not they're going to run or pass. And that goes so heavily into the run-pass ratio that people don't realize. People think Peterson doesn't want to establish the run and all this stuff. He does. He does if the box numbers are advantageous. Ben, if I had to give you a guess, and two of these guys are in this game, who do you think is the lowest percentage of running against eight-plus man boxes in the league. There's two guys in this game. They're both bottom two. So I'm guessing who's who's the bottom? Yeah. Who sees the least amount of eight-plus man boxes? Cohen. Cohen is 5.05%. Ah, what's good? <laughs> That's the lowest in the league. The second lowest is Wendell Smallwood at 6.9%. You're telling you're telling me Wendell Smallwood runs the least, like the second least in the league in the eight-man boxes, and he still is running like Wendell Smallwood? Correct. Oof, it's not good. <laughs> Jordan Howard, who's averaging, what, 3.7 yards per carry, sees 14%. That's super low as well. Josh Adams sees well, around the same percent. As we discussed with, with Jordan Howard, Howard needs to learn how to just put his foot down and go upfield. Yeah. Which he once knew and was great at, and now I think he's just trying too hard. You know who spends the – okay, I'll, I'll throw this out there too. I know this is a Bears defense preview show, but I wanted to throw this out there since we're on the topic. According to Next Gen Stats, who spends the most time behind the line of scrimmage? On run plays. Josh Adams. Tariq Cohen. Because he just runs around in what circles the heck, like a creep. man? <laughs> That's t- okay. In my opinion, uh, my bet is that that number is thrown off by the fact that Cohen will get those swing passes right. that are runs because they're laterals. Yeah. Where he's behind the line for like two seconds because he gets the ball six yards behind the line of scrimmage. So I don't believe in that number. I just think it's fascinating that he's got the lightest boxes and he spends the most time behind right. the line. 
But this is why you have to <laughs> listen to the podcast. Only understand numbers within context. Like right. if you just look at the numbers, it makes no sense. You look at the film, well, it clearly makes sense as to how these things are being charted and understood. Yeah. That's why you got to uh, you got to you got to you got to listen to the podcast. So you you can see through the the obfuscation. Our advice: don't try to establish the run against this defense unless they give you favorable numbers, and even then. Maybe kind of question a little bit. Make sure you got the, your, your side with a, with a plus one with a blocker and everything like that. It being like that, the same way that it was against the Texans. It's going to have to be, and we asked for it, and we got it from Nick Foles. It's going to have to be a Nick Foles game. He's going to have to be confident. He's going to have to be solid. He's been he's been very good recently. And recently on BleedingGreenNation.com, you wrote a great piece, a huge piece that you had been working on for a while. It's it's getting a lot of chatter, uh, a lot of a lot of views too. It's, it's doing fantastic. A lot of there's way too many cool. comments on it. I'm not reading any of the comments. I'm sorry if you commented on it, but there's like 300, and I'm not about that life. I went through about 200 of them today, and I was like, I just wasted such a, so much time. It's all Cowboys fans. <laughs> so Ben, can you kind of give us the meat and potatoes of this article, and maybe how? Any yep. pieces of it kind of translate into this matchup with the Bears, if you haven't already on this show. It, it works because, like we just said, you have to have numbers with context. There's a lot of articles that share numbers about about Nick Foles and Carson Wentz. Uh, you know, Nick Foles, over the past three weeks, has been the league leader in passing yards and in yards per attempt and in, in, in passer rating, completion percentage, everything. He set the single-season passing yards record. He tied 25 straight completions, which... Uh, Philip Rivers, you know, it's a second tied, you know, incredible NFL record for passing. There's a lot that goes on. And then you look and you see that his, um, his X comp friend and uh, next gen stats is super high. His time to throw for PFF is super low. And you're just wondering like, what does this mean in context with Carson? Well, you go and you watch the offenses and, and Carson and Nick just run different offenses. They simply do. And that's, what's confusing is typically when a backup quarterback comes in, well, you slightly change the offense, but you're still running the same uh, system. And yeah, like you could argue that it's like just like a, sl- a slight change to mutation, but really, the reads and, and and I would say the philosophy, the ideology behind the the offense are quite different in terms of Philadelphia. Like this is, I think, a great way of explaining it. Carson Wentz has more, or, or Nick Foles has more yards per passing play. Carson Wentz uh, than Carson Wentz. Nick Foles has more yards per passing play on first down than Carson Wentz by like a mile, but. Carson gets a first down on first down like 35% of the time, and Nick does it like 24% of the time. So Wentz is the more bimodal quarterback. So I would argue, no, it's the opposite. Because Foles' depth of target is super low, and his he's not going to pick up a lot of first downs. But he has such an inflated yards per attempt because he gets these super deep plays all of a sudden. Whereas Carson Wentz spends far more time in the intermediate area of the field. Got okay. Okay. And that's why he's got more middling depth target, right? But like that's a perfect example of just how like those numbers are incongruous. There's discrepancy there. And it's because the offenses aren't the same. They're different in terms of how they try to win football games. Foles is such a more high completion percentage thrower who's maximizing yak. Carson is so much more interested in actually generating air yards underneath his throws, hitting intermediate levels, and capitalizing on those ideas. Nick Foles wants to get rid of the ball. Carson wants to hold the ball. They're different quarterbacks and the offense is built differently because of that and so then the the we, we go through what Nick Foles looks like how the offense is built for him to be successful and what he might look like as a free agent I mentioned the flats thing earlier Nick Foles ideal offense lets him circle one underneath zone defender typically the curl flat defender to one side of the field and they just run stick they run slant flat yeah they run curl flat they run smash and they make him wrong all the time right. just it's constant and it's not dissimilar to stuff you saw 
happened in the Chip Kelly era in terms of those quick hitting mesh crossers and mesh to wheel that we've talked about and all the various, you know, 11-21 with double slants. It's all just exposing that one zone defender. So so this offense is built under Nick Foles to get defenses into zone. Chicago's fine with that. They'd love to stick in zone the whole game. Get defenses into zone, isolate one defender and make him wrong. When you run match coverage, it's much trickier. But they do give up area into the flats. They do have their linebackers chase into the flats very often. Uh, when they're they're responsible for the third receiver to that side, who's typically the running back. And so you can get stuff there. You can get your wheel routes to hit in that regard, which I think Chicago probably knows is coming. Um, but but Nick Foles simply, we use this construction a lot. He's a player you win with, not because of. It's simple that he does not elevate the players around him from an on-field X's and O's perspective. Foles absolutely elevates the people around him from a, like, emotional perspective and from a preparation perspective and from a belief perspective. It's very clear that the team believes in him and that elevates them. But he doesn't elevate people in an on-field perspective. Uh, he, he is a facilitator. He honestly reminds me, you know, we talked a little bit about Ryan Fitzpatrick. When I was watching the Lions game against the Bears going through this, I was thinking to myself, man, like Matt Stafford isn't what he used to be and has been kind of tampered down a little bit by the Jim Bob Cooter experience. And like, you know, <laughs> figuring out Stafford, whether or not he's good or bad has been like a weird thing. But yeah. Stafford and Foles do some similar stuff. Stafford's got arm strength that Foles doesn't have. But in terms of the the short area distribution, the quick throws into the flats, the taking advantage of off coverage with quick hitches, it's all very similar in terms of offensive design. So that's the piece on Foles. It was, it was a good piece. It was a fun piece. But Foles is not going to to win this game in terms of, you know, like it's easy to remember the incredible throw downfield, you know, Alshon Jeffrey touchdown, Torrey Smith touchdown against the Vikings. That's just not like that's salient in our memories, but that's not really Foles's game. Foles's game is going to be the quick dink and duck stuff, maximizing yak, that sort of an approach. You can pull it off against the bears, but you're going to need to win those man uh, matchups as well. Otherwise you're going to score seven points max. Yeah. So it's got to be a big Foles game from an, from an efficiency standpoint. Basically, is, is what needs to the happen biggest here. thing Foles can do is not turn the football over. The number one yeah. hugest right. thing: just don't provide any short fields. Don't provide any easy points. Uh, no, that's a great point, Ben. I think we covered it. It is time for predictions uh, on the on the preview show when we did the Bears offense, Eagles defense. Uh, the line was the same. The the over under was forty one. The line right now is six and a half with Eagles at the as the underdogs. I remember it was it, we called it twenty four seventeen for the exercise. Did you take you took the over on the Bears scoring twenty four? No, under? I wanted to, and then I took the under. Yes, that's correct. So we both took the under, right? So seventeen for the Eagles. We'll we'll talk about that first. Seventeen for the Eagles offense over or under. I'm under on seventeen. I simply think this Bears defense poses too much of a problem, and they don't give up enough explosive plays. And Philadelphia needs those explosive plays to wrap up points. I mean, they are they have been one of the highest scoring teams over the past six weeks of the regular season, which is great for Philadelphia. It's been like 27 or 28 points per game. But I, I, I don't see it uh, in terms of against this Bears team. I will say, if they pull it off against this Bears team, which I'm, I'm not picking them to beat the Bears. I'm picking the Bears to win. If they pull it off against this Bears team, they're going to win the Super Bowl, right? Like, if they, if they win that playoff game against such a difficult Bears defense— uh, and, and Nick Foles again notches a playoff, an improbable playoff win under his belt. I don't see how you're going to stop this team. They're going to be bananas. They're going to be the most inspired defending Super Bowl champion, underdog, masked up team in the face of the play. You know what I mean? It's going to be absurd. And so, yeah. uh, if they if they beat the Bears, I'm never picking against them ever again. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I see. Like I said, 1913 on a Bears podcast I was on earlier this week. I feel like maybe it's going to be a little bit closer. I think Philadelphia. Uh, 
I think Philadelphia can score on these guys. I really do. I think that they can move the football. Like the, the way I, I'm, I've spent a lot of time with the Eagles offense the past three weeks of the season with Nick Foles, and they can move the football. They've been good. I can easily talk myself into an Eagles win. I really, really can. If the Eagles yeah. win, three things will ha- three big things will happen. Number one, Alshon's going to have a massive game mm-hmm. uh, in terms of they're going to constantly, he's going to constantly beat man coverage. He's going to force Chicago into zone and cone coverages that they don't want to have to use, and that will open up the rest of the offense. That's number one. Number two, Nick Foles' time to throw will be zero. Right, like we'll simply just like he will catch the ball and shoot regularly. He's gonna have to get rid of the ball very, very quickly. Not only on the man coverage concepts to Alshon and, and making those choices pre-snap, but also against those match coverage zones. When you you can beat match coverage zones with very quick breaking routes out of like stack alignments and a bunch alignments, and I think that's where Philadelphia is going to be very heavy, especially in the RPO game as well. And then number three, finally, the thing that. You know, we're going back now to the defensive side of the ball, but the key for the game is going to be there. You're going to need to have Fletcher Cox and Michael Bennett take over in the interior defensive line. So as to generate pressure on Trubisky, it's going to look very much like the Texans game in terms of we're fine if he beats us with his legs. We're just not going to let him get outside of the pocket and, and rip us to shreds that way. Trubisky makes mistakes outside of the pocket. And so if you get him out and he, he throws on the run, he will throw picks. But it's the point of like, if we take him out of the pocket, we don't let him get to his first read and all their constraint concepts we're winning as a defense those three things happen which one has happened in recent weeks two has been happening in recent weeks and three has happened in recent weeks so it's not out of the question uh eagles beat the bears so i i can talk myself into it but i'm not i'm not there yet i'm not brave enough if the eagles beat the bears i think it's because they pick off trubisky three times and they don't let those opportunities go to waste three three times he did it against the Rams. Three. He did it against the Rams, and they only scored 15 points. Rams weren't able to capitalize, but Trubisky is going to give you opportunities to turn the ball over. They have to take advantage of every, even if it's two. You know what I mean? Like it, it's they have to take advantage and get some short fields. Three's a little high. Three interceptions a little high. I'm, I'm taking the Bears. I'm taking them 20 to 13. So both of us have taken the Bears. You can yell at us now. You can yell at Ben for his Nick Foles, Matthew Stafford comp because Matthew Stafford never won a Super Bowl, even though that's not the point of these comparisons when we talk about individual aspects <laughs> of their game. <laughs> I can already see it coming. Uh, ben, let the uh, – well, we, we know what's up. I mean, we, we got a we got a chat with Cody Alexander coming up for match quarters. Well, that's the end of the week. I have, a, I, have a, I have a joke for you. Ooh. I wrote, I wrote the Foles piece, and uh, Byronic Gyro won who is a listener of the podcast, Byronic Gyro, said, so if I understand correctly, two of Nick's strengths are his speed, referring to his processing speed, and his use of that mesh sit wheel, which that concept we talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. So he said, it's almost like you could say that this is a game between, wait for it, Mitch Trubisky versus Mesh too briskly. Oh, come on. Ha! That was amazing. <laughs> I thought that was great. Uh, so yeah, shout out to Mesh Trubisky, quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, <laughs> I wanted. I, I told him I was going to read it on the podcast because that had me laughing so yeah. much. Thank you, as always, for listening to this ridiculous show uh, that we call the Kiss and Solak Show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. Could be the last preview game, uh, but hopefully it's not because that would be lame. And so we're going to hope the Eagles beat the Bears this week on Sunday. I'll be at the game, which will be exciting. Mike won't. Sucks for Mike. Gee, thanks, Ben. I am very happy for you. I am very happy. Rate and review the podcast. 
because that's amazing. We really appreciate your ratings and your reviews. All of you guys who hit us up on Twitter and tell us how much you love the podcast, that's amazing. We love that. That means a great deal to us. If you do put that on iTunes, it does a lot more for us algorithm-wise in terms of the, the podcast getting clout and getting good ratings, and, and it, we get to show it to our bosses, and they're very happy. Um, but we appreciate all that wonderful feedback. We've had a tremendous week of interaction with our listeners. We hope to get another one. Uh, we will be producing the post-game podcast, which will drop you know either late Sunday night or early Sunday morning. Uh, win or lose, rain or shine, that will be the podcast that comes out. And then, as is the uh, the nature of the playoffs, we're in a holding pattern. We will know what our next week's schedule looks like when we see the results of the game. But Eagles are going to win, even though I picked the Bears, because the sweater is undefeated. Thank you for listening. This is the end. Sometimes the best things happen when they don't make a whole ton of sense. I feel like that's a tenet you live your life by, isn't it, Mike? <laughs> sick burn, Ben. Sick burn. Beautiful. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-Flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers.